Good morning, everyone, and happy Advent. We are beginning to celebrate Advent today, if you haven't picked up on that yet. Um, hopefully you have. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and um, what I wanted to do for Advent is look at, uh, there's, there's four, they're called servant songs in the book of Isaiah. Now, the book of Isaiah was written by a prophet named Isaiah, who lived about 700 years before Jesus was born. And throughout the book, he, he lived during a time of, of the decline of Israel, and, um, and a lot of the book of Isaiah is him warning the people of Israel and, and, um, and proclaiming that God is going to bring judgment on them for failing to love God, for failing to serve him, for failing to worship him, for failing to love others and, and, and serve others as he calls them to serve them. And, uh, and so a lot of Isaiah is, is, uh, is him pronouncing God's judgment upon them, that, that God's judgment is going to come upon them. But then there's also a lot of Isaiah that, that is full of uh, passages and messages of hope, that God is going to rescue his people, that God is going to deliver his people, that God is going to send a servant that would do everything that Israel failed to do and would redeem them and deliver them. And, uh, and four of those places are these things called the servant songs, and we're going to look at those. The first one we're going to look at is Isaiah 42, um, and we're just going to look at the first four verses of this servant song. Um, as we hopefully, uh, hopefully these, these servant songs are going to help us to um, celebrate the birth of Jesus, the, the, the coming of Jesus over the next four weeks, and also to look forward to when Jesus is going to come again. That's what Advent's about. So listen to God's word as I read from Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning because we need you to help us. We need your spirit to work as we look at these words from Isaiah written so many, many years ago, we pray that your spirit would take them, would turn on the lights for us, that you would help us to see your truth here, that you would convict us, that you would strengthen us and encourage us, and that you would change us. So Father, we are counting on the fact that you want to speak to us this morning by your spirit. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas justice. Christmas justice. Those words don't really go together that well, do they? I, I don't know. For me, they don't. When I think of Christmas, I think of good cheer, right? I think of giving and peace. I don't immediately think of justice. You know, when I, I think of justice, uh, like movies that come to mind are, are old westerns. You know, when Clint Eastwood rides into town and basically destroys all of the bad guys who've been terrorizing the town up until that point. That's what I think of when I think of justice. Like the bad guys get what they have coming to them. That's what I think of when I think of justice. And so when I think of Christmas, I'm like, ah, 
can I think of any Christmas movies that talk about justice in that way? And, and I was like, well, you know, one movie that did come to mind is Christmas Vacation. Have you guys seen Christmas Vacation? <laughs> With uh, Chevy Chase is playing Clark Griswold, you know, this... this you know, lovable family guy who, who wants to just give his family the perfect Christmas. And, uh, and, and one of the things that he's really looking forward to, he's counting on getting his bonus, his Christmas bonus from work that year, and he's planning on taking that bonus and putting it towards putting a new pool in the backyard. He cannot wait to announce that he's going to put a pool in for the family. And he's so excited about this, but he, he doesn't, the letter doesn't come, the letter doesn't come, the letter doesn't come, and he's kind of getting nervous, but he, he just, you know, he's, he's always gotten his bonus up until that point. And then Christmas Eve finally arrives, and the whole family is there with him, you know, the, the parents, the in-laws, the grandparents, cousin Eddie and his family have come by unexpectedly, right, and they're staying with them. And, uh, and he finally, the, the postman comes to the door, and he's like, I'm really sorry, this fell under my seat. Merry Christmas. And, and he takes the letter from work. And he's like, the bonus, it's here. And then he has everybody gathered around, and he's like, with this bonus, I'm going to put a pool in. And everybody's like, yes. And then he has everybody like, do a drum roll for him when he opens the envelope, and he opens it up, and he pulls it out. And if you've seen the movie, you know what he gets. Uh, apparently, the, the, the new boss has decided to get rid of Christmas bonuses that year. And instead, he gives them a year membership to the Jelly of the Month Club. And Clark begins to go like berserk. He's just he's so angry at his, that his boss would do this to him, at the injustice of the situation. He's always worked so hard. He's always been able to count on his bonus, what he wouldn't give to have his boss sitting there with him right now and tell him what he thinks of him. And so Cousin Eddie overhears him say this. Cousin Eddie doesn't, you know, doesn't really think a whole lot, ever. And he gets into his RV and drives straight to Clark's boss's house, knocks on the door, grabs his boss, ties him up, and kidnaps him on Christmas Eve and brings him back to Clark's house. And he rings the doorbell and they open the, and they open the door and there's, there's Cousin Eddie with, with Clark's boss, you know, not looking very happy, but tied up and a bow on. And Cousin Eddie's just like, Merry Christmas, Clark. Justice is served, right? His boss is there, and he can tell him what he thinks of him. Justice is served. That's, that's one of the few examples that I could think of of a movie that, that kind of gives us an idea of Christmas justice in the way that I think of justice, that the bad guys get what's coming to them. Well, this passage, this passage is, is about Christmas. It's about the promise, the, the coming of the servant of God and all that he will do. What else is it about? It's, if you were paying attention when we were reading, it's about justice. It's about justice. If it's about anything, it's about justice. He mentions justice three times. In verse 1, he says, he will bring forth justice to the nations. In verse 3, he says, he will faithfully bring forth justice. In verse 4, he's not going to grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. One of the things that the, the servant of God is going to do when he comes is that he's going to bring justice. But does that mean that, that what, he's, what, what the, servant of, the servant of God, that his main job is to come and to, to, to give all the bad guys what they have coming to them? Um, I've always kind of struggled with this when the, when the Old Testament talks about justice. The Old Testament talks about justice a lot. The prophets talk about justice a lot. And um, I, I was reading a commentary this last week by a guy named Ray Ortland, and, and I think he wrote some things that are really helpful 
Um, when we think about this word justice, when it's used in the Old Testament, so the, the word can also be translated like righteousness as well as justice, and, and, it can, and it's got a wide range of, not a wide range, but a range of things, that, ways that it can be translated. And, and one place that he points to is in the book of, book of Exodus. We went through the book of Exodus not that long ago. And if you were with us, you remember that there's a point in Exodus when God gives Moses a bunch of instructions about how to build the tabernacle. He gives Moses like a blueprint for how to build the tabernacle, a plan for how to build the tabernacle. And back in Exodus 26, he uses this word for justice when he says, I want you to build the tabernacle exactly according to my plan. Exactly according to my plan. My design. My blueprint. And so what Ray Orland points out, he says, he says this. I'll, I'll just read what, what he writes. He says, in a, in a similar way, God has a blueprint for human existence. He knows how human beings and human society can be at its best. He knows how to make us happy and fulfilled. And through his servant Jesus, he's bringing his plan down from heaven to reorder human human civilization in a beautiful way. God's kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when when this passage talks about the servant coming to bring justice, it really means that he's coming to make all of creation according to the plan of God's blueprint, his design, according to his will. Okay? So this is a good way, I think, to think of justice. It's, it's not simply the bad guys getting what's coming to them, but rather it's all things in the world going according to the will of God and his plan. It, it's people living and caring for others in the way that we were meant to. It's people not being oppressed or taken advantage of or discriminated against or ignored or forgotten or neglected. For the servant of God to bring justice is for the, for the servant of God to, to make the world according to God's will. Okay, so, so that encompasses a lot of things. It, it, it's for, it's for, uh, to bring justice is to make all things that are wrong right. Okay, according to God's plan. And so... This is what the servant that is promised in, in chapter 42 of Isaiah is, is promised to, to come and do, that he's going to make all things wrong right. And so as, you, as we look at these four verses, I think these four verses encourage us to do three things as we celebrate Advent, encourage us to do th- three things um, to, to enable us to celebrate Advent more fully and faithfully. And the three things are these. Um, first, to behold the servant. Second, to um, be quiet. Thirdly, to be patient. Okay? So behold the servant, to be quiet, and to be patient. So first of all, first of all, he, he tells us to behold. And, and why does he tell us to behold the servant? Because the servant that comes Jesus is the one who is designed to bring justice. He's the one who is designed for justice. Okay? The very first word of Isaiah 42 is what? Behold. Behold. Look. Pay attention to this servant. Look at him. Don't miss this. Behold. In the the passage right before this, 
If you have your Bible, you can look at it. If you don't have your Bible, I encourage you to look at it later today. Um, open up your Bible and, and look at chapter 41. But, but what he talks about in 41, a lot of the things that he's talking about in, verse 40, in chapter 41 is he's talking about how Israel has been looking at, gazing at other idols. Um, a lot of chapter 41 is, is the, the prophet condemning the people for attaching themselves to other idols for thinking these other idols are going to fix their lives. And at the very end of chapter 41, he says, Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. And then immediately after that, he then says, Behold, the servant. He's kind of you know, calling everybody out. He's saying, You guys are all looking at the wrong things, at these empty things. What you need to look at is the servant if you want to understand what justice is, if you want to understand what the plan of God is for, for the world, for society, and for your own life, you need to look at the servant rather than all of these other idols that you think are going to fix things and make things right and good. So he says, behold the servant, because he alone is the one who is designed and designated to bring justice. The verse of verse, he, he basically um, connects the servant directly to who God is, right? In the, in the very first verse, he says the word my, at least five times, I think, here. He says, God is talking. He says, behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He's going to bring forth just, justice to the nations because God has chosen him. God is sustaining him. God is working through him. He is the one who is designated and designed to make the world what it should be, to make our lives what they should be. And so we need to look at him. We need to spend, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, we need to spend real time beholding Jesus. Because it's only by beholding Jesus that we will actually figure out what life is supposed to be like, figure out how we are supposed to treat others and love them. The problem is so many of us are, are spending time looking at the wrong thing, like the Israelites were. Um, and we're getting the wrong idea for what the world and life should look like. I, I remember we, uh, a, a while ago we, bought, we ordered a, a basketball hoop that you, had, that you had to put together. It came in a bunch of different pieces. And it got to us in, the, in a big box. And I remember opening it up and, and taking out the directions. And the frustrating thing was that the directions they sent me with this basketball hoop were not the directions for the basketball hoop. They were for some other basketball hoop that this, thing, that this company made. And, and, and so it was so incredibly frustrating trying to put this thing together, trying to piece things together with the wrong directions, the wrong blueprints, the wrong design. And yet that is what so many of us do every day of our lives. We're, we're looking at these other idols that we think are going to give us the blueprint for life, you know, we, we look at social media and, and the values and opinions of, of other people. We look at, at, at people we admire in the world and, and we look at their ideas and values for life instead of beholding Jesus. Instead of beholding Jesus. This passage encourages us. We need to spend real time beholding him. Just thinking about who Jesus is and how he lived, how he loved, what he did. We need to behold Jesus. I'm not sure what is that over there. They're putting salt down. Good men. That's a hopeful sign. So nobody has to stress out. Okay. Hopefully he's done. So we need to behold Jesus 
and, and meditate on who he is. Spend time in his word looking at the gospels to, to just meditate on, on what is important to him, on how he talks to people, on how he treats people, on what he values. We need to behold Jesus because he alone is designed for justice. Secondly, we need to be quiet as we look at how the servant defies expectations. If you go on and look at verse 2, verse 2 to 3, um, you see how the servant defies expectations of what someone would, what, what we, we would expect someone to do who's going to bring justice, okay? Um, when I think of somebody bringing justice, again, I think of you know, a strong, big, strong guy like Clint Eastwood coming into town with both guns blazing, you know, loud, big, up front. I think of, when I was a kid, I watched the Justice League, right? The cartoon with all of the superheroes. You had Superman, you had Wonder Woman, you had Batman, you had Aquaman, all these guys. You could recognize these guys because they all wore superhero costumes. They were all in colorful tights, right? So you knew that they were superheroes. You knew they had superpowers. It was obvious. Or they were just really, you know, confused. But, but it was obvious. They, when they showed up on the scene, everybody knew that Superman was there to save people because he, he was going to demonstrate his power in, a, in an obvious way. But that's not what the servant does here. That's not what he, not what he says the servant's going to do here, right? He says, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. He will make it, or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. The way that this servant is going to bring justice isn't by showing up with a cape and levitating and saying, everybody, I'm here to save you all and to, and to change everything and to show you what righteousness and justice and, and real life and love looks like. No, Jesus came and most of the people didn't even realize what he was doing. Most of the people didn't even notice. I mean, look at Christmas morning, the first Christmas morning. How did Jesus arrive on the scene? As a baby, right? There wasn't a huge, big parade, a, a giant you know, fireworks display. There wasn't big fanfare. Yeah, there were, there were angels that showed up and shouted. But who were they talking to? Just a, a few shepherds that nobody cared about, right? Everybody else in the world had no idea that he had come. He had come silently in a lot of ways. And as he grew up, what do we know about Jesus' life? I mean, the first 30 years of his life, we, we know hardly anything, except for the fact that there was one moment when he really stressed his parents out. You don't really know much about Jesus doing stuff until when he's 30 years old and he starts his public ministry. But his public ministry, even, you would, he would heal people often, and what would he tell them? Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. He was quiet. He was stealthy in a way. He was kind of like a ninja in the way that he was bringing, in, bringing justice. You know, not, not announcing it, not trying to blatantly you know, tell everybody, look at me, I'm here. He was very quiet. And that, even, um, that, that, that was even reflected in the way that he died, isn't it? He didn't defend himself. He didn't speak up. He went to the cross Willingly, quietly, and he died there. Even his death was something that, that to most of the world just, you know, could be forgettable. It was insignificant. Just died with a couple criminals. 
He will not cry out or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Um, it says, this verse 3, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. I, I might disappoint some of you guys here. Um, you can just disagree with me if you want. Well, I've, heard, I've heard that verse um, quoted a lot in my, in my life, talking about how Jesus is, is very gentle with those who are hurting. Like the bruised reed is, is us. And, and when we are hurting and heartbroken, he's going to be gentle with us. He's not going to break us. He's going he's he's to care for us. Um, and, and we are like the, the faintly burning wick, and he's not going you know, to snuff us out. He's going he's to take care of us and be gentle with us. In the context, I don't, I don't think that's actually what this is saying. Um, I was reading somebody else uh, this past week who, who kind of went along with this, this same idea that when it's talking about a bruised reed, he will not break. I think it might be talking about how, kind of like a ninja, you know, as he's moving along and there's a reed that's bruised that's maybe about to break, he moves so quietly and stealthily that he doesn't break it. He doesn't, you know, cause a candle to be blown out because he's so quiet and easily uh, overlooked and not, and not noticeable. Um, I think verse 3 is just another way of, of saying verse 2, that, that he, he accomplishes justice in a quiet way. And so he defies expectations. And, and this is why this is, this is important for us to realize. Um, when it talks about him bringing justice in this quiet way, um, the, our greatest need for justice isn't with justice outside of us, it's with justice inside of us. It's with the injustice in our own hearts. It's, it's with the fact that we have rebelled against God. And we have not loved him and served him as we should. And this is how Jesus brings justice in this quiet way. He, he went to the cross and he died on the cross. The, the, the moment when, when, he, when he most fully and, and powerfully brings justice is when he dies on the cross to pay for our sin when he takes the judgment of God upon himself so that we could be forgiven. And so as we come before God, this is why it encourages us to be quiet. When we come before God, we need to remember that, that the only way we can come before him is not by saying, God, look at me. Look at what I have done. Look at the great person that I am. The only way we can come before God is quietly, silently, you know, counting on the fact that he has done it for us. That he has paid the price that we deserve to pay so that we can be loved by God and so we can know God and so that, we, so that the things in verse 1 can be said of us. Jesus died for us to pay the penalty for our sin so that if we have received him and trust in him, then we can hear God saying to us, you are my chosen you are the one in whom my soul delights. I will put my spirit upon your life. The servant despises expectations and he's quiet. And in, in a sense, what Jesus does, as I said in the, in the verse 1, he, he gives us the design for what a life of justice looks like. It, 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 um, to live a life of justice, it's to, like Jesus, to, to be quiet rather than trying to force the world with our strength and our and influence and our ability. A lot of times, it went, the, the whole point of Jesus being quiet, of the servant being quiet, for him to be quiet meant that he had to trust God. And that's what he calls upon us to do. A lot of times, I, I feel like I need to force the world. I need to bend the world to the form that I think it should take. 
I need to, to kind of like force the people around me to, to, to act the way they need to act, I, especially as a parent with my kids. A lot of times I'm tempted. You know, if I can be louder, then they'll do what I, I think they need to do. If I can just grab them and force them to sit down, then they, that, you know, then they will sit there. But I think what this passage is encouraging us to do is we try to influence others and impact the world for righteousness and justice is we need to trust God and we need to be quiet. He, he calls us to be silent servants in a lot of ways and to trust him. We, we, need, to, we need to pursue justice the larger world by trusting him rather than tr- by trying to be, be loud and force people to do what we think they need to do. When, I, when I, I, I go on Twitter sometimes, probably more than I should, and a lot of times when I go on Twitter, all I see is people yelling at each other, right? If I can be louder than you, then I can, you know, get you to agree with me, and that never works. I think the, 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 the servant encourages us, like him, to be quiet and to trust God as we faithfully work towards a world that is better, lives that are better. Um, lastly, he, he, this passage encourages us to, to be patient. It encourages us to be patient. As you look at verse 4, and, and, and encourages us to be patient because verse 4 says it you know, as clearly as it possibly can, the servant will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. The servant is not going to give up. The servant is not going to fail. No matter how broken the world might look around me, no matter how much um, oppression on a large scale and conflict and war on a large global scale I see, no matter how much brokenness I see, no matter how much brokenness in my own life, in my relationships with others, and relationships with people between one another, we have this promise that the servant is not going to give up until justice has been experienced, until righteousness has been experienced in this world. At the time that they were reading this, you know, they were, they were facing um, uh, the judgment of God by, by powers on the outside of them, by, by the world powers like Assyria and Babylon. And, and, uh, and they, were, they were facing you know, real um, difficulty in their near future. But this passage, these verses are encouraging them, guys, be patient. If you trust me, all will be right in the end. And, and the same with us. Jesus has come, the servant has come, and he's begun to, to bring justice by, as I said, through his death on the cross, he has, he has brought about the, the way for us to be restored to him and to experience his spirit working in our lives and changing us but it's not complete yet. And, and we have the promise that he's going to return. And that's very much what Christmas is about. It's about, yes, celebrating that Jesus has come, but, but also remembering that he's going to come back. And we need to wait patiently, knowing that he's going to come, knowing that the future is going to be incredible, spectacular, perfect. One of the things that I, I struggle with growing up at Christmas, this is what Christmas was very much about. It was about waiting, right? And learning to wait patiently. Because as a kid, you just wanted Christmas morning to arrive. I remember, well, even on, on Christmas Eve, we would go to my grandparents' house and, and we would eat dinner. And then we'd know that we got to have presents after dinner. But, but, 
before we went to the presence, we had to clean the dishes first. Well, I didn't have to clean the dishes. I just had to wait for the dishes to be cleaned. And so we all had dinner in the kitchen, and then they would be cleaning the dishes. We would just be standing in the kitchen, just being like, ah! When can we go into the living room? When can we go in? And, and it was so hard to wait, but we were able to wait because we knew that there was going to be a payoff. We knew that the presents were there. It's not like we ever doubted it. And that same thing happened on, on Christmas morning. I would wake up at 3.30 in the morning, 3.30 in the morning, because I couldn't wait to go out to the living room. I couldn't wait to have the, the chance to, to wake my parents up when they said, you know, they said I couldn't wake them up to like 7 or 6.30 or something like that. And so I'd just be waiting there. I'd be bothering my sister. I'd be, and, you know, we'd, we'd just be like, just kind of like, just struggling to, to make it. But we could wait because we knew what was coming. Something spectacular was coming. And it was definite. And that's what he encourages us to, to remember here. As, as you look at the world and the brokenness of the world and the, and the discrimination and the hatred and the division of people, as you look in your own life at, at the way that your life is not the way that, that, that God has planned it to be, that the people's lives around you are not the way that God has planned them to be, that God has designed them to be, that, 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 that things are not going according to his will, we need to trust him and wait patiently, knowing that the, the servant of God, Jesus Christ, has come, and he's coming back, and he will make all things new. He will make all things new. The future is spectacular. We're going to have a million presents to open when he comes back. And he's going to transform everything. And it's going to be perfect. It's going to be perfect. As bleak as some things in your life look right now, don't forget, it's going to be perfect. He encourages you to wait patiently. Wait patiently because he's faithful. He's not going to give up. He's not going to get tired. He's not going to stop. He's not going to get discouraged until he's established justice in the earth. The last line says, and the coastlands wait for his law. That's what we got to do. we got to wait. And that's what I want to encourage us to do this Christmas. These three things. Do as much as you can to behold Jesus rather than beholding all the other things that it's going to be tempting to behold. You know, our Christmas list, the things that we want, all of the things that we have to, you know, that, that we have to, to get done at work and attend at work that are a part of the, the Christmas you know, time of year. All of these other things, these things that, that, that vie for our attention. Let's behold Jesus before we do anything else. Let's be quiet. Let's work at being quiet. That's a hard thing for us to do. We, we think that we can, we can manipulate and, and, and force life to be the way that we want it to be by, by just being stronger, or by being more able, or being louder. Let's work at being quiet and knowing that he is the one who has Brings, who brings justice to my relationship with him, who makes it right, and who's, who who's has the power to make the lives around me right. And let's work at waiting patiently. I think a lot of us don't even really think about waiting because we're not really looking forward to the certainty of how great it's going to be. Let's wait patiently for the, for the spectacular return of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would um, 
Help us again, Father, as we, um, as we sing now, as we go from here. Um, Father, we pray that we would not be able to shake these words from Isaiah 42. To behold the servant, to behold Jesus, to follow his lead and being quiet, resting in what you do for us rather than what we can do, and, and to wait patiently for what you will do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.